Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Rico Bronia time as we head towards Christmas week. We are a week away from Christmas and the Met fan is getting antsy. The Met fan is getting nervous. The Met fan and the Yankee fan, Red Sox fan, Dodger fan, Giant fan is checking their phone every five minutes because we just need updates on Yoshinabu Yamamoto. And the updates that we've gotten over the last few days has told me absolutely nothing. It may get you excited as a Met fan to hear that Yamamoto went over to Steve Cohen's house and they had dinner and everybody had a grand old time. But then within five minutes of hearing that, You hear Yamamoto then on the next day went to the Bronx to hang out with the New York Yankees. Nothing has really changed. That's the truth. As much as maybe we try to talk ourselves into this is why Yamamoto is going to pick the New York Mets, nothing has changed. These rumors, which I admit I'm gobbling them up to, it's certainly the biggest topic in the Mets text chat. I'm interested But I'm also drawing very, very few conclusions. On Saturday night, uh, there was excitement in the Met fan community because of this dinner, because of the fact, wow, they they got a second meeting with Yamamoto. He went over Steve Cohen's house. Carlos Mendoza was there. This must mean the Mets are going to sign him. I, I don't think it tells us anything, honestly. I think we're in the same boat we've been in the last few weeks, which is, Yamamoto has an unprecedented amount of interest. It seems like every big market team in baseball is interested in this guy. And that really is unique because you look at other big-time free agents over the last five years. There's always a few big market teams that are just not interested. You You very rarely get a free agency where everybody is falling all over themselves for the same guy. I mean, think about Bryce Harper a few years ago. The Yankees weren't interested in Bryce Harper. The Boston Red Sox weren't making a big push for Bryce Harper. So even when you get like these elite-level position players, there's always a handful of big-market teams that sit it out. This pursuit of Yamamoto is unprecedented because everybody's in. I mean, when have we ever had a free agent bidding that involved both the Mets, the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Giants? It's everybody. And so because everybody's involved, Yamamoto is doing his due diligence and has met with every single team. I mean, unlike Shohei Otani, 
who had no interest in coming to our team, and we were going to have to like push the door down to even kind of get a meeting with him. Yamamoto's talking to everybody. So when I hear he goes to Steve Cohen's house on a Saturday night, it's certainly not bad news. I didn't take it as we're not getting him, but I didn't take it as now the deal's done. Because think about what also came out within, let's say, 12 to 24 hours of that report. That was John Heyman saying that Yamamoto met with the Yankees on Sunday and the meeting was at the request of Yamamoto. And if you like to write fan fiction, you can spin that one however you want. (laughs) You, You really can. So the Yankee fan can spin it as, see, he's coming to the Yankees. He had that dinner date with Steve Cohen. And he realized, I don't want you, I want them. And immediately, he gets into his car after that wonderful date, after he's wined and dined, and he immediately texts his old lover, but new lover, the New York Yankees, and says, what are you guys doing tomorrow? You got plans? You want to hang out? And I understand why the Yankee fan would construe it that way. He has this big meeting with the Mets, And then immediately says, I need to meet with the New York Yankees. If you're a Met fan who likes to write fan fiction, you would spin this as he's informing the Yankees that he's in love with the Mets. He's trying to do it in a classy way. I had this wonderful night in Connecticut with Steve Cohen. So now what I'm going to do, because I'm a class guy, is I'm going to meet with the New York Yankees so I could tell them face to face, I'm dumping your ass. You could take this however you want. My maturity, because I was never this mature. Back in the day, every trade rumor, every free agent meeting would cause my brain to just fry. But I'm more mature now. I'm a 40-year-old man. I've got some gray hairs in my beard. The way I take all of this is we don't know what it means. We have no idea. What we know is this. The Mets are clearly pursuing him. The Mets are clearly going to make an aggressive bid to get his services. I think we would be all very surprised if the Mets' bid comes in small, if their bid comes in as not the top offer or at least very close to the top offer. So this is a franchise that is not reminiscent of the Wilpons, despite what anybody wants to say. This is a differently run organization, and they are pursuing Yoshinabu Yamamoto to its extreme. Are they going to get him? My confidence level is very low. And I've explained why. I look in the mirror. I look in the mirror and I see a franchise that's trying to change what everyone else thinks of them and maybe change what a kid growing up in Japan knows about them, which is probably very little. And I look at the roster, and while I don't think it's bad, and I certainly think the Mets can compete for a playoff spot. I think the L.A. Dodgers and the New York Yankees have more to offer. I think their history has more to offer. And at the end of the day, we don't know what Yamamoto wants. If it is literally the last dime, then yeah, we have a shot. But if it's about growing up with posters on his wall, it's very difficult to imagine. Very difficult to imagine that young Yoshinabu Yamamoto was in love with Matt Harvey. Or was in love with anybody in the mid-2000s. No offense to what we did. We did get to a World Series. But the Mets are not an iconic franchise. And that's not self-hate. It's just self-evaluation. So my confidence level is not very, very high. 
But we as Met fans need to have an honest conversation with ourselves. And I, and I remember saying this prior to the beginning of free agency. My prediction was I thought the Mets would be really in to two elite-level guys, Yamamoto and Shohei Otani. I don't know if I was necessarily wrong about Otani. Certainly, I've listened to all of your emails and tweets over the last few weeks saying the Mets were interested in Otani, but they clearly got the message that he wasn't interested. And what did you want Steve Cohen to do? That debate is over. We agree. We disagree. It doesn't matter. Whether they were into him or not, they didn't get him. They're clearly into Yamamoto. They're being super aggressive in trying to get his services. But my prediction at the beginning of this offseason was, if they don't get those guys, I don't think Steve Cohen's going to walk around with a bag of money begging for any other free agent. And as we sit here in the middle of December, creeping closer to Christmas, I'm further emboldened by that. And so what I guess is depressing to a lot of Met fans is that if they don't end up on the positive end of this bid for Yamamoto, this is going to turn into a very quiet offseason And to many, it's going to turn into a massively disappointing offseason. Two things can be true at the same time. Something can be disappointing and smart all at the same time. You know what I mean by that? I'll explain it. I don't want the New York Mets to throw stupid money at guys just because they didn't get the people they prefer. That's not smart baseball. That's not what I want Steve Cohen to do. He is a billionaire. And he has proven over the last few years he's willing to spend. Has he spent wisely? Not necessarily. But he has spent. And that's why let's eliminate the idea that Steve Cohen doesn't want to spend. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, 
Determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. If the Mets don't end up spending big this offseason, will it be because Steve Cohen is cheap? Will it be because Steve Cohen didn't want to spend? Or will it be because, and I'm going to agree with him to a certain extent, that he didn't want to just spend for the sake of spending? And I think this happens a lot in free agency where you end up looking at somebody who's the best available player and paying him as if he's better than what he actually is. So take this free agent market for starting pitching. And we'll get to the offense later because I do think that's a very different discussion. And the Mets have touched base with Justin Turner, a name we've talked a lot about on the Rico. But in terms of starting pitching, do you think it's smart to pay Blake Snell what he's probably asking for? The answer to most of us would be no. I like Jordan Montgomery. I really do. And I think when you have a billionaire owner, it's easy to say, well, money's no object. So if I like the player and I do like Jordan Montgomery and I've laid it out on past Ricos, then why not give him $200 million? I don't think Steve Cohen's necessarily going to think that way. I think it's going to be, hey, we're willing to spend crazy money, but we're only willing to do it if the guy is totally worth it. Jordan Montgomery is a middle-of-the-rotation guy who could get better. He is 31 years old, so he doesn't have that same kind of ramp way that Yamamoto has, more time to get better. But is it really stupid for the Mets to say, we're not just going to spend for the sake of spending? That's smart. That's where I agree with them. But I also understand how this offseason is going to be disappointing. You know, if we walk away with Luis Severino and not much else to fill out this rotation, we're going to be doing something that we did do during the Wilpon era. And that was trying to kind of convince ourselves on if all of these things break right, then yes, the Mets may be good. And that's the likeliest scenario we have going into 2024. Doesn't make it hopeless because I think baseball is the kind of sport where you rarely go into a season hopeless. In the other sports, you sometimes do. In the NBA, you certainly do. In the NFL, sometimes you do. In baseball, there's always that, hey, you never know feel. So two things can be true to my fellow Met fans. Because I have a feeling the rest of the offseason, if they don't get Yamamoto, is going to be like these two sides arguing with each other about what kind of disaster the offseason was. So I'm telling you in a calm voice now before anything happens in terms of Yamamoto and the fallout, I understand the strategy of not just handing out dumb contracts. But you are also allowed as a fan to be disappointed with an offseason. I don't think the two things are a contradiction. Disappointment doesn't mean anger. Disappointment means, yeah, I wanted more than what we may get from this offseason. So this is something I thought back in October. I laid it out early in the Rico. They will be aggressive at the two elite level free agents. If they get them, most Met fans would be happy. If they don't, there's going to be a lot of anger. And that's why there's a lot of tenseness right now, because the fate of this offseason, and that doesn't mean the fate of the season, the fate of the offseason is very dependent on what happens in the next few days with Yoshinabu Yamamoto. I am not being negative to be negative. 
I'm not being negative because I have Robertsitis. I'm not being negative because I'm a Met fan. Some may. I'm being negative because I'm really trying to be honest and follow the bouncing ball and follow the quote-unquote rumors and make an educated guess on where I think this guy's going to go. And I hope I'm wrong. The other thing we need to discuss about this is what if Steve Cohen right now is thinking to himself, I won't be outbid. I am going to not only make Yamamoto the best offer, I'm going to clear it by a lot. And lately the reports have been the Red Sox, the Giants, even the Yankees are prepared to offer him $300 million. Now let's assume it's a 10-year contract or a nine-year contract. You're looking at a Garrett Cole contract. You're looking at something that may pass the Garrett Cole contract and be the biggest contract ever handed out to a pitcher in the history of Major League Baseball. And we're talking about a guy who we've never seen pitch. We're talking about a guy who's coming over from Japan. With that said, it is worth it. It is a risk, but it is worth it. And the reason it's worth it is because he's 25. And the reason he's worth it is because finding good, reliable starting pitching is so freaking difficult. And so you're taking, I admit, a major, major gamble. And at this point, I think when you're in such of the deep water of spending, I'd go all the way with it. So if we end up finding out, and let me take my calculator out to see what this would sound like. If this contract ends up getting so wacky, because let's say Steve Cohen says, I'm not losing him. He knows what the backlash would be from Met fans if they don't end up with Yamamoto. And if they love Yamamoto enough to offer him $300 million a year, not $300 million a year, I apologize, offering him a contract worth $300 million and let's say $35 million a year. If you're willing to pay him that, and the Mets aren't the only team. It seems like everybody's willing to pay him that. But if you're willing to pay him that, why stop there? Why not go to the extreme? Why not offer him a 12-year contract for $400 million? You know what that adds up to per year? $33 million a year, which is probably what he may get. Is that crazy? It could turn out to be a disaster. But when you are in the deep water of this pool right now and you really look at him and you look at your other starting pitching options this year, next year, and even next year, and we'll get to it in a few minutes about the guys that you could target a year from now, there's a lot of really good pitchers, but none of them are 25. So I say this to you right now, and I make you a promise. If the Mets land him, I don't even care how absurd the contract is. I think we all have to agree that you went well above and beyond. You had to do it to get him. And so if it turns out to be what I just projected, $400 million over 12 seasons, which when you really think about it, deeply is not that crazy because the 12 years take him till he's 37, 38. Isn't that where Garrett Cole is signed till? Isn't that where a lot of pitchers are signed to when they get their big contract? He just happens to be 25 years old. So you're getting a five-year head start on it, and you're paying him $33 million a year. So a 12-year, $400 million contract, and this is just a prediction, I'd be willing to give him because the reward is so worth it. With that said, 
whether it's the Mets or it's the Yankees or it's the Giants or the Dodgers or the Red Sox, the amount of pressure this guy's going to face is going to be amazing. Think about him here. We win. We get him. And it's the contract I just described. $400 million over 12 seasons. He has a bigger contract than Francisco Lindor. He's got a bigger contract than whatever Pete Alonso would get from the Mets or anybody else. We all love Kodai Senga because he came over here, certainly not making that kind of money, and pitched really, really well. How quickly would we turn on Yamamoto? I'm being serious. With a contract like that, right now, this is the period of time where we're recruiting him. We're all begging for him. And the same goes for Yankee fans, too. When you bring a guy over here making that kind of money who we've never seen pitch, are we going to be patient? Or if he struggles in his first five starts, are we going to turn on him? I'll tell you right now, I think we would. I would try not to. I'm not saying I would turn on him. But I do think a lot of fans would because he is going to come over here, whether it's the Mets or the Yankees, with an absurd, absurd contract. Absurd contract. But right now, it's a cloud of mystery. Yoshinabu Yamamoto meets for a second time with the Mets, reportedly his request. He meets for a second time with the New York Yankees, reportedly his request. What's he going to do? I still predict not sign with us. As far as next year is concerned, I know nobody wants to hear about next offseason, but I have brought this up in the past. Uh, Even during the Verlander-Scherzer era, we had talked about the window the Mets had, and I remember arguing, I don't know if it was with Pete or with some emailers, that their window's actually open, that Verlander and Scherzer were Band-Aids for a couple of seasons, and then once those contracts were up, you could look ahead to the free agency of 24 into 25, and there's a lot of really appealing names. That remains the same. Obviously, the way we're going to get there changed because Scherzer and Verlander did not live up to their Met contracts and eventually got traded. But next year is a free agency that includes Corbin Burns. That includes Shane Bieber. That includes Max Freed. That includes Zach. Did I say Zach Wheeler? Zach Wheeler. That is a deeper class than what we've had this season because Shane Bieber is closer to an ace than anybody in this free agency this side of Yamamoto. Would I put him above Blake Snell? I I know statistically it'd be tough to make that argument because Blake did win the Cy Young this past year, winning his second. Let's put Blake to the side. His resume is not what I argue. Corbin Burns is an ace. Zach Wheeler is an ace. Max Fried is... Probably a number two, but not that far off from an ace. You have a better class of free agents next season. So if the Mets strike out on Yamamoto, and let's say they get uh, Lucas Giolito on a short-term deal, and then let's say the third starter is a long-term deal, maybe it's uh, the other guy coming over from Japan, Imanaga. You would go into next season with only two guys under contract in your rotation. Kodai Senga, and if you do sign Imanaga or anyone else to a long-term deal, that guy. But Severino would be a free agent. If you got Giolito on a short-term deal, he would be a free agent. 
We mentioned Jose Quintana is only signed with one more year left on his contract. And you could go into next season, especially with the Scherzer and Verlander money gone, with a committed payroll of about $130, $140 million. Obviously, I want to take care of Pete Alonso. I think most Met fans do. But that would give you the room to max out on two of these guys. And if you sign two of those guys, all of a sudden, you have yourself a pretty damn good rotation. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. But I think what's really difficult about this conversation is what about 2024? And I'm not punting 2024 as a fan. The Mets certainly better not. They raised our ticket prices. We go into a season with hope. And that's why you have to do two things at once. Sign guys to short-term contracts who give you a chance to win. Isn't that what they did with Scherzer and Verlander? Think about it. Were they ever punting when they signed Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander? No, they were trying to win. But they weren't wrapping themselves up long-term with them. We always knew their rotation was going to be in flux, maybe not as early as it was because of the trades, but eventually those guys would be out of baseball or the Mets wouldn't keep them. So what David Stearns is going to need to do to do the two things that we want as fans, at least I want as a fan, which is try to win in 2024 while keeping your flexibility going into the free agency of 2025, you got to go aggressive on short-term deals. And you know what's appealing about short-term deals? Let's say Lucas Giolito is one of the guys. And he's coming off of a terrible second half last year. He pitched well until he started bouncing around the majors. Typically, there's this view of, don't you love players in contract years? Now, I, I think that's a fallacy. I don't think guys always have great years in contract years. Because if you counter and say, well, look at Cody Bellinger, I'd say he had a contract year before that. And he was terrible. Now, maybe Giolito fits the Bellinger where he didn't have a good contract year, signs a one-year deal if you can get him, and then has a monster year. And even if you let him go, Severino the same thing. That gives you a chance to win in the short term because in the short term, you just got career years out of two guys in your rotation. It's not sexy. It's not the offseason maybe some Met fans were dreaming of, but that's the pivot. The pivot is short-term deals, and you hope like hell those guys have big years, and it leads to success. And if it doesn't lead to success, you trade them at the deadline for prospects. But I look at a guy like Giolito, who I think is valuable because of the innings he can supply. And right now, I would try to get him on a short-term one-year deal in which I overpay uh, what other teams are offering on a long-term deal. That would be my pivot. Because you are better off, we are better off long-term, not having a rotation locked in with four guys that we settled for as opposed to 
going into the offseason next year with a lot of free money and free rotation spots and going after Bieber and Burns and even Zach Wheeler. Zach's got a lot of innings on his arm and certainly will examine how much he's worth going after to bring him home. But there are appealing guys available a year from now. It just sucks to talk about it today. I get that. Trust me. I'm not saying it with a smile on my face. I'm saying it because I think we need to be smart and realistic. Quickly on free agency of next year, there are only three bats that I would define as game-changing. And game-changing is probably being too strong. Besides Pete Alonso, who you would think would be a major priority because if you lose Pete Alonso, think about the offense you need to replace. Juan Soto, we all know about that. Alex Bregman. And I think how the Mets do with Beatty this season and Vientos this year will help determine the aggressiveness on a guy like Alex Bregman. If Brett Beatty puts it all together and ends up taking the third base job and having a really good year, we're probably not talking about pursuing Alex Bregman. If Beatty's a disaster and there's uncertainty about Mauricio and he may not even be a third baseman anyway, maybe Alex Bregman is a guy you're definitely targeting. The other one, and it's a drop-off, but is a real good player, is Anthony Santander. I'm certainly not comparing Santander to Bregman and Soto, but that is another free agent switch-hitting outfielder with pop. Outside of that, it's not great free agency next year. I got to stop talking about next year because <laughs> nobody wants to hear it either. We're so focused on this season. All right, this season, two rumors to address. Let's start off with Justin Turner. Justin Turner is a guy we've talked about on numerous podcasts as a potential target earlier in the offseason before Ronnie Mauricio got hurt. We examined him as one of the better third base options on a short-term deal. But I think we kind of lean towards let's just keep it with what's on this roster. Obviously, Mauricio going down has changed things. Justin Turner is 39 years old. So there's always that risk that at 39, he's just going to lose it. But Justin Turner goes out and plays every single day, or at least most days. Last year, he played 146 games. The year before that, he played 128 games. So missed a little bit of time, but nothing that's, you know, changing a season. The year before that, played 151 games. And he has virtually put up the same numbers or very similar numbers over the last three seasons. 278, 278, 276. On base, 361, 350, 345. An OPS of 832, 788, 800. He puts the bat on the ball. Is not a big strikeout guy. He's losing it a little bit defensively. That's why if you sign Justin Turner, he's your third baseman slash DH. That's why Justin Turner and J.D. Martinez don't make a lot of sense in my eyes. Because I also think you want to keep at-bats available for Brett Beatty. So if you sign Justin Turner on a one-year deal, and I'm all for it at this point because you add another professional bat to this lineup, and even though he's 39 years old, I feel good about the bet I'm making based on what I just laid out. The guy's played the last few years. He hasn't given you an indication he's going to fall apart. And if he does, okay, cut your losses. It's one year. It sucks. It probably means this season's going to be a failure because it's a sign of things to come <laughs> if the ever-reliable Justin Turner gets hurt. But I think Justin Turner's going to see a lot of his time at DH too. And it allows Brett Beatty to still potentially take the third-base job we've been talking about. Last year with the Boston Red Sox, he actually DH'd more 
than he played third base. In fact, last year with the Red Sox, he didn't play a lot of third base, obviously, because of the way the team is built and having Rafael Devers. So the building of your team matters. But he ended up DHing 98 times last year, played 41 games at first base, 10 games at second, seven at third. By the way, him playing second base is hilarious. I, I figured there's no way he's going to play second base again. Obviously, back in the day with the Mets, he was a second baseman. Prior to that with L.A., it was more of an even split. It's what I'm pretty much describing right now. 66 games at third base, 62 games at DH. And going back further than that is not a good indication because we didn't have the DH. 2021 was actually the last year of the pitcher hitting, so his DHs were only when they were in American League ballparks. But I do view him similarly to the way L.A. did in 2022. I think half the season he plays third base, not half the season, but half the time plays third base, half the other time he's DHing. A lot of that having to do with the development of Brett Beatty. I'm all for it. It's a one-year deal, $20 million a year, maybe less. Call it a day, move on. You added a reliable bat to the middle of this lineup. The other rumor that sort of popped up over the last couple of days is that the Cincinnati Reds based on some of the moves they've made this offseason, specifically acquiring Jamie Candelario, are thinking about trading Jonathan India. My interest level in Jonathan India is somewhere in the middle. It's a little lukewarm. I don't think Jonathan India is a dynamic offensive player. He has never put up the production that he put up in 2021 as a rookie. He's gone a little bit backwards, specifically in 2022. He did bounce back a little bit last year. He strikes out probably right around the league average, has a little bit of pop, has hit for about a 250 batting average. Obviously, the hope being, well, he's still young. He's 27 years old. Does Jonathan India become more than that? If he doesn't become more than that, he's an average player. Now, where he fits in, it's pretty simple. It's something we talked about much earlier in the offseason, but sort of gave up on the idea of, And that's the Mets could acquire a second baseman and move Jeff McNeil to left field. And now you've solved the outfield issue. Instead of just adding a left fielder, which you could do, though another one's off the board with Lourdes Correal re-signing with Arizona, you could acquire a second baseman and move Jeff McNeil to left field. Jonathan Indy is fine. And if you're thinking about left fielders and you put up any of the left fielders you're thinking about numbers against Jonathan India and the potential upside of Jonathan India... Jonathan India may come up as a positive, but you got to remember you have to give something up to get him. And that's the other concern. You have a farm system that features Jet Williams, who could turn out to be as a second baseman. A farm system that still features Luis Angel Lacuna. So you're trading for a middle infielder. You're probably having to give up valuable prospects for him. Is it really worth it? And off the top, the answer is no. Not really. I'm all for, for a younger player who you have team control over, and India does qualify as that. I'm okay with trading prospects for a player that you have control over that's relatively young, but doesn't he have to be a little bit more dynamic than Jonathan India? Jonathan India is nothing special. He's okay. He's average. He's all right. You look at his numbers, and... Is he going to ever become much better than what he's put up over the three years he's been in the major leagues? If the answer is no, then I'm not giving up substantial prospects for him. But it is an idea. It's an idea around 
you could get a second baseman and move Jeff McNeil to left field, despite what David Stern said earlier in the offseason about viewing McNeil as the second baseman. The offseason changes, man. You never know who becomes available. And when guys become available, you have to pivot. And one of the values of Jeff McNeil is his ability to go out there and play the outfield. Let me address Max Scherzer. When I saw the news that Max Scherzer had an injury and was going to miss the first half of the season, I really had no reaction. I didn't have that joy. I don't root for anyone to get hurt. I didn't have that, we dodged a bullet. I think I have entered the mature territory of not giving a rat's ass about Max Scherzer. That's where I'm at. I do not care about him. And with stars that have been on my team, the process of moving on is very, very different with a lot of the guys. Some guys I hold on to for a very long time, and I'm real bitter, and I continue to root against them. And I think in Max's case, once he's back, I'm sure I'll root against him if I happen to be watching a Texas Ranger game. But for the most part, I saw that injury news, and I was met with indifference. Just the shrug of the shoulders, if you will. I've also given it more thought. I made a point recently, hey, do you ever think to yourself the Mets were better off keeping Justin Verlander? Which was my thought back in July after the, you know, we had those few days after the Scherzer trade to kind of contemplate the future of the franchise. And I was on the side of keeping Verlander. I didn't want to move him. And the reasons I laid out (laughs) make a lot of sense right now, which was you got to replace everybody. And that's not easy to do. And considering where this offseason has gone so far, that point, my big argument, still makes a lot of sense. But the more you think about it, and the more I've thought about it, you have two significant prospects in your system. Who knows what they'll be? We have no idea. But we hold out hope that Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford become impact Mets. And then B, who knows what you even have left out of Justin Verlander? Who knows? Would it make this rotation a hell of a lot more formidable if he was here right now? Yes. But is the trade-off worth it? Is one more year of Justin Verlander in his 40s where you cross your fingers that he's healthy and he makes his starts? Is that worth two big prospects that could potentially make a big impact on this team down the road? The answer is probably not. But it was at least worth thinking about. It was at least worth pondering the thought. So Met fans, take a deep breath. We'll hopefully find out this Yamamoto news very, very soon. The last thing I want to do is be doing a podcast as I'm driving down to Disney World, which I'm doing next week, uh, speaking into a phone, giving my opinion of Yamamoto. So let's get get this thing done before Thursday night. Now, I'll still do it because I'm committed to the Rico. We'll get it to you however we can. But the 2 a.m., driving down to Disney World podcast coming up this Thursday night is not something I'm looking forward to. So Yoshinabu, let's get this done in the next four days. Again, always, you can email your thoughts to ricob at gmail.com or leave a comment wherever you download the podcast. Maybe we'll start checking those. Maybe that's a good idea. Either way, thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading another edition of Rico Bronya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. 